Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Good morning today. I'm so glad that you've joined us in worship, whether you're here in this room or you're watching online. We're so glad to have you. Uh, Today, we have some special guests with us over here on my right to your left. Uh, Pastor Mo Wildey and Restore Church International are here. They have a a conference that they're doing called Summit, I believe is the name of that. Uh, We've partnered with Pastor Mo for a while now. He was one of the elders here at the church, sent him out to Indianapolis, and uh, we, we continue to support him. And we continue to support what's happening through Restore Church International, which is international. Uh, England, uh, and we've got Texas, and we have California. Where else do we have? Yet to be, right? Indiana and St. Augustine. St. Augustine. That's the one that I forgot. So could you guys just wave? So these folks are here, and and they are doing discipleship, making disciples that make disciples. And uh, it's, it's our privilege to be able to be a part of, of what they're doing. And so we're so glad that they're here uh, in this place. Th- this is what we're about. We're not just like about what's happening in this room or these walls. These are really nice walls. Uh, it's a nice building. This is just a tool. What we're really all about is inspiring people to become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. This is all about Jesus. We, we want people who love God and then love the church and they love the world around them. And we continue to share the good news so that people can come to know that they can have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, be filled by his spirit and be transformed forever. And so uh, Pastor Mo and, and other missionaries and pastors and church planters, we, we want that message to go as far as the Lord will allow us to have that happen. And it's, it's my prayer that maybe even today, maybe you've walked in here today and you're not quite sure yet, you've not put all the pieces of the puzzle together and you don't really have this relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And man, I'm just praying that your heart will would be stirred because we're here to inspire wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. We're not here just to do church or spend some time in this place and do a little check mark. No, let's fall deeply in love with our creator and his son, Jesus Christ, because that's what we're all about. Now, uh, we, when we get together, we open up the Bible because you're not here to hear my opinion. My opinion's not worth a hill of beans. God's opinion, that's what we're interested in. And we find that within the pages of Scripture. And so we've been going through the book of 1 John. And today is the final message in the Abide series, at which I'm actually... I'm kind of sad to see it go. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed this series. I've enjoyed, this is sermon number 11, message number 11. How many of you remember the points that I made in sermon number two? Uh, ser- sermon number seven, you remember all the points? I don't either. Like, I, I don't remember. But, but listening to God's word, hear, hearing a sermon, or even reading God's word for that matter, is a lot like the guy who doesn't know what he had to eat for lunch two weeks ago, but he knows he got fed and it kept him alive. And that's what we do with God's word. We feed on God's word. You need to feed yourself God's word to begin to engage it. Even though you might not remember every detail that you read or every detail of every sermon that you hear, you are being fed the word of God and it is growing your faith. That's our desire. So uh, you, you can open your Bible to 1 John chapter 
5. Now, as we've looked at this, we've said that, that John is really giving us the reason why he's writing this in, in 1 John 5.13. He's been writing so that we would have some assurance in our faith, so that we would have certainty of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He says in 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He writes to us so that we would know that we have this certainty, this assurance about our faith and our relationship with God so that we don't have to walk through this Christian life going, I don't know if I'm saved. Am I saved? Do I have a relationship with God? I'm not quite sure. No, he says, I'm writing this so that you would have an assurance that you know God through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Certainty. And today, as we open up the Bible and we look at 1 John chapter 5, we're going to talk about certainty once again. This time, the certainty, the assurance that we have that God hears our prayers. And the certainty that God answers every one of our prayers. Did you know that? I mean, this is worth kind of paying attention when we get there. If you hear God's going to answer every one of your prayers, we have certainty, not just of eternal life one day. We have this certainty, not like we're just going to see God when we get to heaven, but we have this certainty right now that the God of heaven hears us right now, today, and we have what we ask for. We have what we pray for in his will. So we're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at that. But the first thing that I want to do is look at a very kind of challenging couple of verses in the Bible where where you have people who have questions about what what does that mean? And that's in verses 16 and 17. And so we're going to start by reading verses 16 through 21, and then we're going to go back and pick up verses 13 and 15 and really dig even further into prayer. So uh, are you ready? Here we go. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. John writes, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, that's prayer, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that don't lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. All right, so that's that's where we're going to look here in just a moment. Let's go on. John writes, we know And he brings up that word no over 35 times throughout this book because he's kind of standing up against those who are pre-agnostics who said, we have special knowledge. We we know more about God than you do. We we believe that the spirit is the only thing that that is good. There's nothing good materially. And so Jesus really wasn't God in the flesh. And so there was this false teaching that begins to creep in. They started saying, well, you can do whatever you want with your bodies because it's really your spirit on the inside that matters. So just go on and sin it up. Just go for it, because all that really matters is the spirit. But John kept, kept coming at it and saying, no, no, we know this. We know that everyone who has been born of God, that's a Christian, everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Remember when we talked about that? You can go back April 25th, and you can look at 1 John 3, 9, where it says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning because you've been born of him, and God's seed, it abides in you. So when we have Jesus Christ as a Christian, we're not interested in practicing sin. We're interested in practicing righteousness. 
Doesn't mean we're not going to sin, but that's not our practice any longer. Like we're, we're honing our skills at sin. No, when you're a Christian, you're just like, nope, I'm done with sin. I'm moving on with God, and I am practicing holiness. God, pour your holiness into my life. Boo to sin, yes to holiness, right? We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know we're certain, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Period, the end, amen done of the book. Now, I'd like to kind of spend some time on the most abrupt ending in the Bible, but I want to go back to what's really confusing there in verses 16 and 17. What on earth does John mean by the sin that does not lead to death and the sin that does lead to death? This is one of those very kind of confusing verses, and people are like, well, what, what does that mean? Now, again, John is talking about prayer in this section, and here in verses 16 and 17, he's talking about the prayer of intercession, Intercession is when we pray for others. In intercession is, is what your staff is going to do for you tomorrow when you turn your cards in or we're aware of some prayer requests that you have. We're going to intercede. We're going to pray to God on, on your behalf. We're going to go to the Father, and we're going to pray, and we're going to seek his face and that his will would be done in your life with those requests that you've turned in. Interceding is what I do in my God time as I think about you, my church family, and I know some of the needs that you have and the struggles that you're going through. And it's what I do when I intercede, and I'm just praying for all of us. And one of my prayers right now for us is that God would just sanctify us, that he would sanctify us. He would make us holy. He would make us pure. He would make us look more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. This is intercession on behalf of somebody else. And John says, you can pray for someone else in regard to their sin. But, but then he says, you don't have to worry about it in, in one instance, which is really kind of interesting. So he is talking here about two kinds of sin identified here. And let's look at this first one, the sin that does not lead to death. The sin, what does he mean? And so for this message, I've spent plenty of time trying to rack my brain around how do I present like, what these verses mean in a way that's very simple, because I'm simple. I, I, the reason that you might come up and you say, well, that was understandable, is because I'm dumb. And I just, I just need to understand things in a way, and that's how I present it. Uh, so if you think, man, I, I couldn't ever do ministry or I couldn't ever really disciple anybody until I get more knowledge, and your pastor is a living example of you don't have to be smart and you don't have to know everything. But I opened up commentaries and I listened to other pastors and I found one that I thought, well, maybe this encapsulates pretty well what we're talking about here. There's a pastor by the name of John Piper and he has a Desiring God website and podcast. And somebody asked this question, what's the sin that doesn't lead to death? And this was December 11th, 2017. And I'm going to paraphrase John Piper. He says... The sin that doesn't lead to death is any sin that we, Christians, that we commit that we are, by grace, capable of truly confessing and repenting of. That's the sin that doesn't lead to death. You might say, well, what sin? All sin. All sin. Because we've already learned in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. 
all sin, any sin, that God pours into our heart the faith and the grace and the ability to come to him and confess and say, I sinned against you. I pray that you would forgive me. I repent of that sin. I turn my back to it, and I'm moving in your direction. That is sin that God forgives. And then he gives us this desire to walk away from it. I'm hoping somewhere in your own walk with the Lord, you have a desire to admit the fact I am a sinner, I need a savior, and I'm done with sinning. (laughs) I'm interested in you transforming and changing me from the inside out. Because we've already read 1 John 3, 9, somebody who says that they're a Christian, you don't keep practicing sin. John goes on and he says this, the sin that leads to death is the result of someone who is unwilling and uninterested and incapable of repenting. Not interested in repenting is a sin that leads to death. He says of the Apostle John, the Apostle John is saying, I'm I'm telling you to pray for Christians who are in sin. They are sinning against God. You pray for those individuals. But I recognize, the Apostle John would say, that Jesus taught about the unforgivable sin. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to convince God to, to begin to forgive somebody who's not interested in forgiveness. Because they have rejected the only means possible of finding salvation. Anybody who's going to come along and say, I don't want Jesus, I'm not interested in what the Holy Spirit is bringing to my understanding that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, I'm going to walk away from God, there is no way that you're going to pray them into heaven. It's just not going to happen. Now, John is making a really interesting point. He goes to one far extreme about what we can pray for. You can pray about whatever you want, but God in his sovereignty and God in his love is not going to force somebody into his kingdom who says, I'm just going to go ahead and blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to walk away from God. I don't love God. I'm not interested in him. So why would they even want to be in heaven anyway? John says, you don't need to worry about praying for that one who says, I don't want Jesus. This is very, very interesting. He says, all wrongdoing is sin. He's not saying like, well, there's some sins that aren't quite so bad, and they don't lead to death. No, he said, all sin is wrong. But John is saying that those who are Christians, those who have received Jesus Christ, when it doesn't lead to spiritual death. When they sin, it's not leading to spiritual death because they have repented of the original sin that they had, the thing that we stood opposed to God that has been forgiven, and now we're born of God, and we have been made alive in Jesus Christ. And so when we sin as Christians, we're not sinning into a spiritual death any longer, and we can find forgiveness. And John says, go ahead and pray about that. So I would just say, if you're looking around the room right now, and you've got some brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't here anymore, and they're kind of wandering in the, in the dark, like they're not in fellowship with other believers, pray for them. Right? Pray for them. Pray that they would come to their senses. Pray that they would come back to Jesus Christ. Pray that they would repent and come to him. But we realize, he says in verse 17, there is a sin that doesn't lead to death, that doesn't have to end in death, physical death or spiritual death. And we know this to be true. Like, like we know, every one of us in this room are a witness right now that there are sins that we have done that have not led to spiritual death or physical death, that God hasn't wiped us out. Anybody in here been perfect since you received Jesus? Right? Nobody's going to raise their hand because then you would be imperfect because if you say you have no sin, you lie. Right? <laughs> You're like, this is my life verse. 
Uh, there have been sins. I should have been dead hundreds of times over, yet God in his mercy allows me to continue to breathe and offers me forgiveness when I repent of that sin. There are people in this room right now who have not said yes to Jesus, but it is appointed for you to come to know him as Lord and Savior. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You ain't figured that out yet, but he knows it, and we're praying that you would enter into spiritual life, not spiritual death. You're a living, breathing example that we can pray for people to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then you can begin to walk with him forever. That's the sin not leading to death. Any sin that you are willing to repent of, are you willing to repent and turn to Jesus Christ? Christian, person who has yet not become a Christian, are you willing? Because you can have spiritual life. And it comes through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, let's talk a little bit more here about the sin that leads to death. The sin that leads to death. I think that what John has in mind here as he writes this, very likely, are those people who had been part of the church who eventually they, they walked away. They, they have committed the sin resulting in death. They have left the fellowship. This is what we read in 1 John 2, 19. These individuals who they went out from us for they were never part of us. They were not of us. They, they showed by their actions that they really weren't Christians. Like they came to church. They said all the right things. They did all the right things. They looked like they had it all together when it came to Jesus and their knowledge about him. But then they walked away. And they began to follow after these false teachings, these false doctrines, these, the Antichrist, he says in John, 1 John 4, 3, who's already in the world. These people had been pretending in their faith. They, they had been saying the right things. They said that they were Christians, but they were pretenders. They were hypocrites, and they became apostate, which means that they have walked away fully and finally, and God has just simply released them, and they've turned their back on the gospel. Like they heard the gospel, they know the gospel, they understand the gospel, they know the spirit of God. This is the one spoken of in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. It is impossible for one to come back and repent who has tasted this goodness of God and understood these things. Like they are apostate. They have gone off to this end and this extreme, and they're not interested in coming back. They were never of us. They didn't lose their salvation. They were never saved. They looked like Christians, but we ain't seen them in a while. And they have turned their back and renounced who Jesus Christ is. And John says, I'm not saying you have to pray about them. Which seems kind of harsh, right? There's a sin that leads to death. I don't say that one should pray for that. That seems hard, but did you know that Jesus one time excluded some people in his prayer? In John, the book of John, uh, chapter 17, it's the high priestly prayer. Jesus begins to pray, and he prays specifically for his disciples, and he does not pray for the world, and he just says it like that. He says this, John 17, verse 9. Jesus says, I'm praying for them, for the disciples. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, the Apostle John, when, when he says, I'm not saying that you should pray for that, he's not saying, don't pray for them. Don't, don't pray for anybody. It's not like this exclusion. And he also uses the word I, not the, not the Lord, not God. He says, I, I'm saying, you don't need to pray about that. If God has this understanding in his sovereignty that somebody has gone so uh, far in their apostasy and them turning and hardening their heart toward him, you're not going to pray them into the kingdom. 
It's just not going to happen. So you don't need to worry yourself about getting an answer of yes to that prayer. God is letting those individuals have exactly what they want. They are disinterested in Jesus. They don't want God. They're not interested in being with him ever. The sin resulting in death in 1 John 5, 16, it is a refusal to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that is a serious sin. That is a sin of blasphemy where you are rejecting the Spirit of God and you cannot be forgiven when you do that kind of thing because you are denying the only means of grace and forgiveness that comes your way because you don't get to heaven just by being good or by creating a religion of your own making. You get there through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, parenthetically, I found another interpretation of this that I want to share with you about the sin that leads to death. Uh, another possible interpretation is that Apostle John isn't talking about somebody who was pretending to be a Christian, but he's actually talking about Christians who sin unto physical death. That, that this isn't a matter of salvation and where you're going to spend eternity, but they have sinned in such a way that they're going to die a physical death. A Christian who commits a sin for which God takes his life. Could that happen? Yes. And now is the point at which I hope I have everybody's attention. <laughs> because the, God has taken people out. And not just like in the Old Testament, like you're done, you're out. No, in the New Testament, there have been sins for which God brought about physical death. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says to the church there in Corinth, you know, some of you, you are approaching the Lord's table, you're approaching the supper of the Lord, this communion in an unworthy manner, and he says, that's why some of you have died. They croaked, God took them out because of the way that they were living their life. That's not the only one. You go to Acts chapter 5, and there you got these two named Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? Ananias and Sapphira, man, they lied to the Holy Spirit in front of the whole church, and God's like, you're done. They were dead. In that moment, God took their lives because they, they were publicly doing something for which God said, no, that's not going to happen. The Lord determined that in those instances, their sin led to physical death. He removed those believers to protect the church and the integrity of the church. And maybe you're thinking like, well, could that happen to me? I don't know. Like, I don't know where that line is because I'm thinking there's some things that happen within church world. I'm like, well, I'll just take them out. Maybe you got a list. I don't know. Maybe you're like, well, they're doing some stuff. I, if, they were, if I were God, they're gone too. I don't know what it is, but somewhere along the line, in God's sovereignty, he's like, nope, they're going to be better off up here with me than down there and, and causing all kinds of problems for my bride, the church. It reminds me of what my parents would do. Like if I was acting up, they're like, I'm still their child, but they're like, nope, you're sitting here by me. You're done doing that. You're here. And God's like, you're done doing that. You're up here with me. Now, I don't know. I don't know. Like what, what, what is it? I mean, is this sin that leads unto death, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit where you're just like rejecting Jesus Christ and this gospel that you've heard so many times? Or is it in some way you're doing something to bring about uh, disrepute to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the testimony of his bride, the church, and he takes you out of the scenario physically? 
I don't know. Maybe both. Maybe both could be true because they're both scriptural. One thing I do know is those two verses aren't the point of this passage. That's not what this is about. John is just using these examples to prove his point that we have whatever we ask for, that God hears us. It is to highlight that God answers prayer. You can ask for anything according to God's will, and he hears you. But if God in his sovereignty knows that somebody has come to the place where they've so hardened their hearts, they have become apostate, they're walking away from the church, they're walking away from Christ, it doesn't matter how hard you're going to pray, you're not going to pray them into heaven. And you're, you're going to want to claim this verse that we're about to read in verse 14 and 15, like, God, I know it's your will. You don't want anybody not to be saved. I know it's your will that you would call back people, that they would walk with you, and then they died, and I don't think that they're with you, and there's this promise you've given to me. God in his sovereignty knows whether or not he's going to call somebody home to protect the, the body of Christ or there is no turning back for the one who has so hardened their heart. It doesn't matter how much you would pray, but, but everything else, John just goes like to the far end of the extreme. Every resource of heaven, friend, is available to you to pray for. Prayer, it's simple. It's not hard. It's not complex. Any Christian can come to God and they can ask and they can talk to him. Everybody prays. Kids pray. I love it when kids pray because kids pray real innocent and it gets really kind of funky and interesting. Let me, let me read you some kids' prayers. I found this one. I thought it was interesting. Debbie, age seven, she played, uh, prayed this. Dear God, please send a new baby for mommy. The new baby you sent last week cries too much. Uh, Jimmy, age six, dear God, who did you make smarter, boys or girls? My sister and I want to know. Uh, Angela, age eight, dear God, could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. Um, uh, Finally, Natalie, age seven, dear God, do you have any helpers in heaven? I would like to be one of your helpers in heaven when I have summer vacation. (laughs) So it's not complex. And sometimes, though, we do make it complex. Sometimes we make prayer something that it's not. Uh, I I found this website, or I heard about this website. It's kind of old. It no longer exists. It was on the internet, and they promised to launch your prayers out into space where uh, it goes out by the speed of light and then God intercepts that prayer, which is really kind of weird. They say, uh, ever wonder if the Almighty hears your prayers? Why not let modern technology put a little oomph behind your next Hail Mary? Check out Prayers Heavenbound. I checked it out. It's no longer there. Go figure. And all for $9.95. It says you, you send them your prayers, your religious art, and $9.95 in check, money order, or cash. I told you it was old. Who takes money orders, right? Uh, and so uh, they take it, they digitize it, they beam it out into heaven, and they tell you, well, we're going to keep this confidential, and for all your trouble, here's an 8.5 by 11 broadcast certificate. You can frame it, and there you go. God has heard your prayers. That is not how prayer works. Here's how John says prayer works. First John 5, verse 13. Again, the summary of the whole book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can have certainty. He's writing for assurance, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. 
I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. God has told the truth. He is the truth. He has saved me through his son, Jesus Christ, because of his grace. I can have this certainty, and I can walk through this life confident that I'm a child of his. Well, what does that bring you? This assurance. And this is the confidence that we, who's the we? Who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians. You. Me. This is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything, you might want to underline that, anything, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever, underline it, whatever we ask, we know we have the request that we have asked of him. That's amazing. This is like blank check kind of stuff. This is an assurance that God in heaven hears us. Now, is John saying that we get everything that we ask for? Anybody else in the room like me and you've prayed some pretty specific prayers and they weren't answered specifically the way that you wanted them to be answered? Anyone? Yeah. So we got a problem here. What is he talking about? What does he mean? I mean, can anyone ask anything from God and then get it? Well, we know, we know that that's not what John is saying because he's saying uh, when we pray, when, when God hears his children pray, he hears us. He, he is obligated to hear you if you are a child of God. He's not obligated to hear somebody who doesn't know him, which is really kind of sad when you think about how many prayers go up all the time. I mean, people in the Muslim world, they are praying, I would guess, way more than Christians and way more often. But God is not obligated to hear them. They're not his children. They don't know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, if they're walking in a religion that is anti-Christ, that is opposed to Christ. He's not obligated to hear people in this world, and there's all kinds of people right now, and they're going through difficult times and trials, and it's hard and it's painful, and they're praying, God, change this, change this. He's not obligated to hear them. Now, can God answer the prayer of somebody who is far from him, who's living in this world? Absolutely. He's God. But they don't have this promise. We do. We have this promise. He hears us. And we have what we ask for when? When we pray according to his will. According to his will. So can, can anybody pray whatever they want to pray and, and he's just going to answer anybody? Like if you know, you're, you're praying for snow and I'm praying for sun and we live in the same household. True story in the Sorensen household. Right, what's he going to do? We do know that there are times that we pray and we don't get what we prayed for. That's in the book of James. In the book of James chapter 4. And interestingly, James is the brother of Jesus. And I, if you're still kind of trying to figure out whether or not Christianity is a real thing and is Jesus Christ Lord, think about what it would take for your sibling to uh, have you worship them saying, I'm God. I mean, probably have to kill him and then rise from the dead. So Jesus did that, and James is like, I'm in. I'm, I'm down with that. So James chapter 4, verse 3, he says this about prayer. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And that, that's what's happening in, in my prayer life right now is I'm praying to win the HGTV dream home, right? Or, or I'm praying, you know, that, that, you know, I'd receive the publisher's clearinghouse, those are the kinds of things that we start to think, God, I want this for me. Like, I promise I'm going to tithe. I'll do that. I'll give you that portion. But really deep down, what's the motive? 
behind your prayer. What is the motive that you have? You ask wrongly. What is the will of God? Another passage that, set, that sheds light on this, Romans, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit, which is God, himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Ever been there before? And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now link that with our verse. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It's the will of God. What does God want? What does God desire? I, I think about what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15. He said this, I, I chose you. I chose you and I appointed you that you would bear fruit, fruit that abides. He'd say, so far, Jesus would say, you've not asked anything in my name. Now he says, so whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And when we start thinking about the name of Jesus, that's not like the tagline that we put at the end of a sermon, in Jesus' name, and now you owe me God. No, we are saying, in the character, the name of, all the attributes of who Jesus Christ is and what he has come to this earth to do and his good will, that is what we're praying for when we pray in Jesus' name. There's this process in prayer where we start being led by the Spirit of God, right? His spirit. And it's not just us praying, not out of our just like wants and, and to spend things on our passions, but it is the spirit of God directing us. And it's about his interests, his desires, what he wants. And it doesn't always happen quickly. This is the part of prayer and walking this out that takes a bit of time because this is built on relationship. This is built on walking with God and his spirit cleansing us just transforming us, giving us his holiness. It's this relationship where you get to know the Father and what he is like, and you're so deeply in love with the Son. Like, I want what you want, Lord Jesus. Perhaps, you know, there's no aspect of Christian life that's as puzzling as, why didn't, why didn't I get my prayer answered? But here's what we have to remember. You've heard this before. We don't change God in our prayers. Our prayers change us. I'm thinking of Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's, he's, not, gonna, he's not saying, you know, just, you know, delight yourself in the Lord, and he's going to give you what you want. No, you delight yourself in the Lord, and he's going to pour in what he wants. He's going to pour his character into you. He's going to pour his desire that he has for this world, for his good, for his glory. And that starts to come out when we begin to pray in Jesus' name the will of God. And the important thing to remember here about this principle of prayer is that prayer has to be in accordance with God's will. But here's what we know. We have confidence that he hears us. He hears us. And we have what we pray for when we pray in his name, in his name, for his glory, for his good name. I found some, uh, a quote that I want to share with you from a guy named George Mueller, just a great man of faith. And George Mueller, if you get a chance and you can study him and you can read about uh, his life, I, I would say, i got to find his quote. I, I would say do it because he has some miracle kinds of prayers that he would pray. Here it is. Got it. George Mueller said this, 
Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. God, what are you willing to do? (laughs) What do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do in my family? What do you want to do in this world around me? God, am I here just to kind of spectate? Am I here just to kind of watch what happens and let life roll over me? God, let your will be done in my life. There's, a, there's another quote that I found, and this one's from Charles Spurgeon, just a great preacher. And he, he was speaking to a class of ministers. And I'm, I'm going to go over here to these guys who, who are on the field ministering to others. And this is what Charles Spurgeon said to them, and it's for all of us. He said, might not we win more victories if we use this weapon of prayer? All hell is vanquished when the believer bows his knee in supplication. Beloved brethren, let us pray. We cannot all argue, but we can all pray. We cannot all be leaders, but we can all be pleaders. We cannot all be mighty in rhetoric, but we can all be prevalent in prayer. I would sooner see you eloquent with God than with men. Prayer links us. It links us with the eternal, the omnipotent, the infinite, and hence it is our chief resort. Resolve to serve the Lord and to be faithful to him for his aid. Be sure that you are with God, then you may be sure that God is with you. Nothing that we ask for lies beyond the power of God except for that which lies beyond his will and outside his purpose and outside his plan. Everything else, blank check. Come to the Father. Seek his will. Let his glory and will be done. God's will may be different than what you might naturally desire, but it is always better than what you desire. God wants to give to you what you would want God to give to you if you were wise enough to want it. You have not because you ask not. What has God laid on your heart today? God hears your prayers. Ask. Ask in his name. And watch what he does. Let me pray for us. Father, as we come before you, we are asking, Lord, that as you search our hearts and you know our minds, you know the condition of all that is going on around us, that your will would be done. We recognize that there are lives that are just kind of falling apart spiritually. And we would ask, Father, for all of those who are walking away from you and have not yet said yes to your son, Jesus Christ, that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, pull them out. Take them out of the clutch of the enemy. We pray that their feet would be set on solid ground, that they would know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For relationships in this room that need to be restored and that would happen miraculously, Lord, we pray that you would do that for your good name and your glory. Father, would you help us as we walk out of this place to find what you are doing around us to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Open our mouths so that we might see your kingdom continue to expand your will to be done in our lives and in this church, we pray in Jesus' name. I just say, if, if you're looking to get connected with the church, you can step outside, and we've got like this next step banner, and you can talk to folks there. You can come down front, and you can pray down here. We'd love to pray with you. Lord bless you all. Thank you so much. God bless you. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. 
If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.